So today we're going to be finishing up our our uh, our James series. Last week would have been the last week, but um, none of us were here last week. Or at least if you were here last week, uh, you were here by yourself. Because uh, you must have missed our Facebook posts and whatever else, whatever else way that we could... Uh, we could kind of communicate that we felt like that it was the best thing to do uh, to just kind of cancel the service just for everybody's safety. And we kind of followed the trend of other churches in the area that were kind of doing the same thing. We felt like it was wise to kind of be on the same page there. Uh, So it was weird. I don't know about you, but it was weird for me because I'm at church every Sunday and it was just weird sitting around on a Sunday morning not going to church. I think that's a good thing. So I don't know. I guess I shouldn't feel normal uh, sitting around on a Sunday morning and not going to church. But anyway, so we're finishing up our James series this morning, um, talking about the book of James, looking here um, at, the, at the, very, the last verses of chapter 5, as we kind of have spent a long time uh, dealing with this particular stuff and addressing this, uh, looking at all the things that James has said. And so let's look here, James chapter 5, starting in verse 13. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Then he must pray. Is anyone cheerful? He is to sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Then he must call for the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, and if he has committed sins, they will be forgiven. And therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effectual prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years. Um, and my brethren, uh, three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produced its fruit. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth, and one turns him back, let him know that he who turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. All right. So just like all the other portions of, of you know, James, that when we are, you know, a, you know, reading through the book of James and addressing, he kind of seems to jump around a little bit from here to there, um, you know. So we kind of see the same thing happening. It's a lot like Proverbs, you know. This the James is really considered to be the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's got so many different stuff that James really kind of just dr- addresses all of these particular issues. And so he goes through some of these things right here, and he kind of gives us some quick instruction on how to deal with certain circumstances in our life right here in verse 13 and 14. And he says, like, hey, you know what, if you're going through a problem, you know, if you're dealing with a problem or a trial or adversity in your life, he says, listen, this is what you need to do about it. You need to pray about it. It's a real deep, novel idea, isn't it? Um, the truth being known, though, is I think sometimes we we spend more times we spend more time talking about praying things than we actually spend time praying about things. 
We talk about how praying about things is super important and how, you know, having an, a lifestyle of prayer and spending time in the presence of God and all this kind of stuff. But it's really generally not what's come, what comes natural to us, does it? does it? Does it come natural to you that when you're going through a trial, when you're going through a problem in your life, if any of you is dealing with any adversity, that the first thing that you do is that you turn to pray? Maybe you do. And that's maybe because you've conditioned yourself to address adversity in that manner. But sometimes it's just as easy for us to begin to stress and begin to worry and to begin to fret and to begin to complain and to begin to point fingers. And we find all of these other things to do addressing our problems and addressing our adversity and these issues that we have in our life. And James is just really, he's just making it really, really simple for us. He says, listen, understand this, that in your life, that if you're going through a trial, if you're going through adversity, if you're going through a problem, if any of you is suffering, are you suffering in some way? He says, then you should spend time and you should pray about it. He's telling us to pray about it. Now, this doesn't, I, I want to I also clarify a couple things here because I think that in the church world today, um, this is how we pray. This is how we pray. We start going through a trial and then what we do is like, well, I got to pray about it. So if I got to pray about it, well, I'm going to tell everybody to start praying for me. All right? I'm going to activate the prayer chain. That's what I'm going to do. All right? So we start going through a trial in our life. We start going through some, we're, we're suffering, we're dealing with some issues in our life. And instead of praying about it, we get other people to pray for us. And we get them to try to, we, we try to get other people involved in this. We activate the prayer chain. Or, okay, if we're going through a trial or some suffering or some difficulty, it's just as tempting for us to say, well, I'm going to get the pastor to pray for me. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the pastor to pray for me because he, he is closer to Jesus. And if I go to him and he prays for me, then it's going to be significantly different. And notice that James doesn't say any of those things right there. He doesn't say activate the prayer chain. Okay? It doesn't say, you know, call together a, gra- a group of prayer, you know, uh, uh, warriors and, and put together a prayer meeting or any of those kinds of things. And while all of those, I guess, theoretically could fall into the category of prayer, he doesn't say go find the, the pastor of the church and have him pray for you, even though later on he does, talking about sickness and stuff. But he's not talking about sickness in this particular subject. He's talking about going through suffering. He's talking about going through trials and difficulties and all of those things, those, th- that particular area of our life. And, and, and in that, in that suffering, in that area, because we're all going to go through those moments in our lives, we're all going to face trials, we're all going to face moments in our lives where we feel like we are suffering and we are going through a difficulty. And James tells us that, that instead of all these other things that we should be doing, even though they may, may be noble and they may be good, okay, that the one thing that we should do and the very first thing that we should turn to in going through these problems in our life is that we should turn to pray. Turn to pray. The problem is, is this. Here, here's the real, I think the real problem is this. 
is that if we don't cultivate a lifestyle of prayer in our lives, when it's time for us to start praying, we don't know how to pray. All right? If you don't cultivate a lifestyle of prayer, if you don't know what it's like to be in the presence of God and to spend time praying, then when it's time for you to pray because you're going through a trial, you don't know how to pray. And because you don't know how to pray, you start looking for other people to start praying for you. That's not what James tells us to do. He tells us that we are to pray ourselves, right? So um, prayer is like a muscle, all right? Prayer is like a muscle, and if you don't use muscles, they grow weak, all right? If you don't walk, for a long period of time, your legs grow weak, all right? If you don't use muscles in your body, uh, uh, you know, to a certain degree, they become weaker. They don't become stronger through less use. They become weaker through less. And prayer is like a muscle in our life, okay? It's a spiritual muscle that we have. And the more you do it, um, the easier it becomes, Okay, so like I remember back when I was, uh, you know, 18 years old and I graduated high school and I agreed to become a part of this ministry training program called Master's Commission. And guess what happened when I joined Master's Commission coming right out of high school? I jumped right into this ministry training, uh, training discipleship program and they made us come to the church every morning at seven o'clock in the morning. I believe it was seven. Was it seven or six or eight or you don't remember? <laughs> I don't know either. Whatever it was, when I was 18, it was early. Okay? Right? Because anything before 9 or 10 is early. All right? We had to come to the church, and whenever it was, let's just say 8 o'clock in the morning, we had to pray for an hour. An hour. And, uh, I don't know, listen, it wasn't like somebody led the prayer. You walked into the sanctuary and you had to pray for an hour. Okay. Now, I'm going to tell you something, okay. Uh, 18 years old, coming out of high school, I, I was not ready to spend an hour in prayer. Okay. I was not ready to spend an hour, uh, you know, because you basically go through like, you know, the Lord's Prayer five times and then all your family members and friends and you're like okay that was five minutes <laughs> I got 55 minutes I'm not sure what I'm going to do here um, so you, you, you start thinking of things to pray about right but you know, the more I did it, and we had to do it every day we were there. Every day we were there, we had to come in in the morning, and we had to pray for an hour. And every day that we were there, we would pray. And the more I did it, the better I became, it, the better, it, it, the easier it was for me, okay? And uh, to the point to where uh, an hour got to be not enough, you know? It wasn't enough time anymore to kind of cover all the things that I wanted to cover and to spend the amount of time that I wanted to spend in certain 
aspects of, of prayer and in God's presence and everything. And so, um, you know, it was one of those things where we had, I had to, you know, um, it, then I would spend more time in other areas, you know, just uh, praying and, 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 and I would, you know, maybe fast some more so I would have more time, you know, during the day, during the lunch or something. I would spend more time. And over the course of those, you know, three years or so, spending time in this program, it was nothing anymore to spend an hour in prayer. But when I was, when I was young and I hadn't, hadn't done that for a while, it was extremely difficult for a while until I had learned to grow that muscle. And now I know what it's like to spend time in prayer. I know what it's like to spend time in his presence. And, and, and that's not difficult for me anymore. Um, but it's, it's the same thing in our life. If we don't cultivate a lifestyle of prayer, then we're not ready to pray when it's time for us to really pray, when we really need to pray through on some things. Uh, because you, you should be ready to pray all the time. And we should all be praying all the time. Uh, we should be, Bible tells us this, to be praying all the time in our lives, to be in an attitude of prayer, to be in constant communication with the Holy Spirit, talking to Him. Um, but this is, in particular, James is kind of going into this, and he says that, um, you know, if you're suffering, spend time in prayer. Spend time in prayer. You know, turn off 103.7 or the country music station or 94.5 or 99.5 or whatever it is that you kind of get your kicks listening to around the house or whatever. All right, still telling that Amazon dot to play, you know, some, you know, Frank Sinatra or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what floats your boat. Uh, Tell her to play some Hillsong United or some Bethel music, something. Put on some worship music. You know, when the kids aren't around and they're asleep, get in your room, okay? Pull out the Bible and start spending some time in his presence and pray. You know? <clears throat> it's important. You know, turn off the, the TV. You know, you don't have to watch that episode. At night, um, it's important that that we find the time uh, for these things in our lives, so that we can be who God wants us to be. James goes on; he says that if you're cheerful, sing praises to God. Um, If you're cheerful, sing praises to God. You know, I think this is, uh, you know, uh, obviously, you know, the, this, this idea of being cheerful, I think really, you know, this singing praises to God obviously has a lot more to do with being cheerful. So you kind of kind of understand maybe wh where James is coming from when he writes this. And I think that if you, if you think about it for a little bit, I think what James is really trying to tell us is that, you know, a lot of times, one, one, of, the, one of the easiest moments and, and the greatest temptations that we have in our lives, and I think it's one of the greatest temptations for us as Americans living in the country that we live in, in the prosperity that we have in our lives, is that it's easy to get to the place that, to, and, and the point in our lives where we are confident in our own ability to secure ourselves. 
okay, or to take care of ourselves. And then what happens is, is that we, we become so super confident in the fact that we have created this life of luxury for ourselves. And then all the blessings and prosperity that we deal with in our life are a direct result of our labor and our genius and our hard work. And we, we can get to where we don't recognize God's blessings and favor in our lives in those moments. And so this is where, I think this is where James is coming from. Like, if you are cheerful, well, what are the things that would make you cheerful in your life? Well, good things, right? I mean, good things happen, happening, right? Um, maybe you get a raise at work. Isn't that going to make you cheerful? No? I just like, eh, it's money. Oh, man. You know, getting a big bonus or... You know, uh, your kids doing well and making, you know, good grades. And those report cards came out this week. Or, you know, I mean, I don't, it, look, the, you know, uh, you you getting blessed because, uh, you know, something happened and you, you want a big prize. I don't know. I mean, this. what are the things that make you cheerful in your life? And what James is saying is don't don't take those moments and think that you are the reason. Right? Don't think that. You're in that moment of blessing, and you're in that moment of cheer because of how great you are. So he says, sing praises to God. Sing praises to God. Give him the credit. Give him the credit. Give him the praise. Now we know that uh, you can sing praise to God at any moment of your life, not just when you're cheerful. And that's where I think it's, it's interesting to, to note that there's got to be a reason why James is using if you're cheerful because the Bible tells us that we're to sing praises all the time, all right? We're to praise him all the time, all right? And we know that praise and worship is also a form of a weapon that we have to fight the enemy, all right? That God's given us that as a tool to overcome and to fight the enemy. We also know that God has given it as a tool to enter into and usher in the presence of God. The Bible says that he abides in the praises of his people. So when we begin to worship him and we begin to praise him, that his presence comes down in a greater way than it was before we started. Okay? So we know all of that, but James is really addressing this thing like here, like, man, listen, you know, if it's good for you right now, okay, don't just step back and think that you've got nothing to do. So if it's bad for you, pray. If it's good for you, worship. It doesn't matter where you are right now. You should be in his presence. You should be giving him the glory. You should be recognizing him. You should be having this attitude about you where you recognize his sovereignty and his greatness in your life. James goes on, he says that if you are sick, if you are sick, this word sick really means, um, I mean, obviously it means sick, but it also means it, you could be weak or maybe needy. Uh, it says call for the elders. That means the leaders, the older generation, the forefathers to receive prayer. And that the prayer that is offered with conviction the conviction of God's reality along with his will and his ability to answer prayer will make, uh, make whole the one who has grown weary or the one who is sick. The, 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 the prayer offered in faith, 
the prayer offered in faith. Uh, you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about faith and what faith is. Um, and I think that's one of the, 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 the biggest, um, I think one of the biggest misconceptions in the church is the, the idea of what faith is. Um, because, I, you know, I, I would tell you, it's almost like there are, I, and I hear this quite often from people, uh, when, when they're praying and they're asking God for something, they will say something to the effect of like, uh, well, you know, um, it's not like I don't have faith. And I'm thinking like, well, what are you trying, are you trying to convince me you have faith? I'm not, I'm not really sure what, why you're saying, like, you're, you're trying to tell me, like, they try to convince me that they are people of faith. You know, uh, faith can produce many things in our lives. Faith produces salvation, and so, you know, we can have a certain element of faith right, that, that produces salvation. Uh, and even in salvation, uh, you know, you see all the elements of faith at work in that. So at, at one moment in your life, when you were living your life, doing your thing, whether it was when you were a young person or whether you became an old person and, and God kind of changed the course and direction of your life, you know, at some point, the Holy Spirit convicted your heart that you needed God, that you needed repentance of your sins, and that you needed forgiveness inside of you. And so because of that, maybe you came to an altar, or maybe you were in your bedroom, or maybe you were you know, standing on a street corner with a, a friend, or, 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 or in a restaurant with a, a friend or a family member, and you prayed, and you prayed in that moment that, that, that God would forgive your sins, and that he would make you a whole and he would make you a new person and since that moment you have believed that from that moment God made you a new person and God forgave your sins but did you see God forgive your sins did you see yourself become a new person or is it that you took God's word at his word and believed that the Bible says that when you repent, he's going to forgive you and he's going to make all things new. I mean, I'm assuming that you're a lot like me, that you didn't see it happen in the natural, but you believed it happened in the spiritual. That is faith. Okay? And faith brings about many other things in our lives besides um, salvation. As a matter of fact, all the promises of God in our life are brought into our life and activated through faith. Because just because God promises you something doesn't mean that you are going to have it. Just because he promised you something doesn't mean that you're going to have it. If, for example, he gives it to you and you don't take it, you don't activate it. You have the responsibility to activate it. And so here, James is, is talking about this. He's talking about this idea of faith. He said, if you're sick, call the elders of the church to pray over him and anoint him with oil, uh, and the prayer offer in faith will restore uh, the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. The prayer offered in faith will restore him. Um, that faith there, believing that God's word has said um, that sickness has to go. Believing, And so it's believing it even before you see it in the natural. 
just like you believe that God forgave your sins and made you a new creation, and it didn't happen in the natural immediately, obviously, or not ever really, other than the fact that maybe your character and the things that you cared about began to change, all right? It's the same thing when we're talking about this. And so, obviously, you know, we dealt with this, I think, actually, several months ago, we did a long series on uh, You're My Healer. And so there's lots of different ways to activate healing in our life, and this is one of them. One of the ones that James addresses right here is by gathering the elders of the church and anointing uh, the sick person with oil. And in that moment, those leaders praying over the sick person, it can bring about healing. But understand something, that, that faith has to be in operation there. It's the prayer of faith. It's not the calling of the elders that, that brings healing. Okay, it's the prayer of faith. Now, people being there together and God's Jesus saying that if any two gather together and ask for anything, he says, I'll do it there. Okay, so we know that that carries weight and it carries, um, you know, authority with, with it. But you can't just say, well, let me call the elders of the church and have them pray for me. And I'm going to be healed in that moment because the Bible says it. But and leave out the fact that it has to be a, a prayer of faith. So, for example, I could pray for it. If you come down here and you want me to pray for something in your life, but you have no faith to receive it, it doesn't matter how hard I pray for you, it won't happen for you because there's a lack of faith on your end. And understand, this doesn't mean that you're some bad person. Okay? It doesn't mean that, that you don't love God or any of those kinds of things. It may mean that you're struggling with some things inside of your mind that are becoming, uh, that, are, that are blocking what it is that God wants to do inside of your heart. And so, you know, there were people in the Bible when, when God, when Jesus, would, uh, when Jesus was dealing with people and they would come to him and they would say, hey, Jesus, will you heal this person? And Jesus says, um, you know, uh, anything is possible if you believe. And really he's saying anything's possible if you have faith. He's almost saying, oh, well, I don't really know if you have faith. And so what do these people say? They didn't say, well, I do have faith. They didn't say, I have faith? What are you talking about, Jesus? Why are you telling me I don't have faith? That's what we do today. Why are you telling me I don't have faith, Pastor? You're telling me I don't have faith to believe? No, see, here, here's the difference, because these people, one of the reasons why they saw God do the miracle in their life is because of this. They... When God said anything is possible for him who believes, they says, I do believe, help my unbelief. They recognize the fact that there, there's probably some unbelief somewhere in there. It says, I want help. Do you help me? All right. So the, the, the prayer offered in faith is what produces the miracle and obviously calling the leaders, okay, of the church together to pray enhances that and increases that. And uh, it's another way to bring about healing in our lives in whatever way that looks like. It, like I said, it's not necessarily like a sickness sickness. It can be that you're, you're weak or that you're needy or going through something there. All of those things fall through that as well. All right. Um, and then he, you know, James kind of goes into saying something right here. He says, uh, the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, they will, they will be forgiven. 
Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. All right? Therefore, all right, therefore confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. One of the greatest problems that we found that, that you see that G, and, and, as it was a philosophy that was a, a prevalent philosophy in the Pharisees in Jesus' day, and you see this through several conversations that they have with Jesus. And it's this philosophy and this, this idea that if somebody is sick, it is because they sinned. Okay? It is be, if somebody is sick, it is because they sinned. Now, obviously, Jesus addressed this. I, in one, one particular one where um, the Pharisees came up and there was a blind man, and this, this, this guy had been blind since birth. And so the Pharisees were like, Jesus, who sinned, him or his parents, that he would be born blind? And really it's the question of like, you know, where does suffering come from and all this kind of stuff. But it's the same philosophy here that they, they want. How could this, um, the, 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 the guy sin, if he was born blind or if he's been blind since he was a child, how could he be responsible for it? Because how would he even know what sin is like in the womb or something like that? All right? And so then it would have to be because, and really it was under this idea that all sickness, that, that if you have sickness in your life, it's because you did something wrong. You remember Job's friends, and when Job was going through all this bad stuff in his life, his, his three great friends that he had kind of stood around him and said, well, you must have done something wrong to be dealing with all these problems in your life. All right? Now we know that that wasn't the truth, but it was a, it was a philosophy that, uh, that God-fearing people had was this idea is that if you're having problems in your life, it's because you've sinned. If you have sickness in your life, it's because you've sinned or your parents have sinned and it's been passed down from generation to generation. All right? And so Jesus really kind of fought hard to fight against that grain. Now, uh, anytime something like this happens, though, you don't, you don't ever take... Um, throw the baby out with the bathwater, okay? And that while, while not all sickness is the result of sin, okay, it, Jesus never says that no sickness is, is the, uh, uh, it, that sickness can't be ever the result of sin. So it is true that throughout the Old Testament, when you see in particular, actually, if you read the curse of the law in the book of Deuteronomy, it tells you that if you don't follow this rule, if you don't obey all that God has commanded you to obey, and then it goes through an entire chapter where God says, you know, the boils are going to come upon you, and you're going to have all these, and, and it goes into all of these physical problems that we could have in our life as the result of disobedience to God, okay? And, and Jesus never ever addresses the issue saying that sickness isn't the result of sin because in theory, all sickness and death and suffering is the result of sin because those things wouldn't exist if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned and rebelled against God in the garden. So those things were ushered into this world as a direct result of sin. And there were many times um, that, that we see in, in the Bible where somebody gets healed and, and, and they have a sickness in their life, and at the same time having a sickness, they are also demon-possessed. Okay? Now, again, it doesn't mean that all sickness is because you're demon-possessed. You, you following what I'm saying? 
You have to understand this. And so James is saying right here, he's saying, um, confess your sins one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. Sometimes in our lives, we can, be, we can deal with sickness in our life as a direct result of our disobedience. Okay? As a direct result of our disobedience. Some of the more obvious ways are the ways where God, um, like, like we don't know necessarily if it says, um, you know, uh, you know, when you want to say, you want to address sickness like uh, cancer or tumors or some of these things that just seem to be somewhat random sickness things that come. So we don't know specifically, you can't attribute those things to sin specifically, but we don't know, you know, what, what's happening in a person's life that has guided them there. And again, like this is not a sweeping statement. But for example, if you want to say where God says, do not worry about anything, all right? And then we start to stress and worry, and we start dealing with anxiety, and we start having anxiety attacks, and we, all of these kinds of things. All right, those things are psychological issues that we are dealing with as a direct result of not following and listening to what God, God tells us to do. And it doesn't mean that doing what God tells us to do is going to be easy, because sometimes we create strongholds in our lives of thinking and acting the wrong way, and then all of a sudden we realize we're thinking and acting the wrong way, and then it's not so easy to change that anymore. All right? But those things are a direct result. Like if you want to go out and you want to sleep around with every person that walks and, and every person that will kind of, okay, and you might get AIDS as a result of doing that. And that sickness obviously is a direct result of, of doing what God tells you to do, not, has told you not to do. Like I can tell you this, I'm not going to get AIDS as a result of sleeping around because I've only slept with one person in my life and it's my wife. This is not going to happen. Okay? So I know that that sickness is not going to come to me because, of, and obviously in that, in that manner, because I, I'm, not, I'm not doing those kinds of things that would put me in that position to, to be open to that. And it's the same kind of thing. But James here is addressing this, this issue that you cannot say that sickness isn't the result of sin sometimes. But it doesn't necessarily mean that if you're sick, it's always because you've sinned. All right? But we know, we know. And sometimes in my life, I will say, you know what, I've had a bad attitude, and I've treated people poorly about me. And sometimes when I do this, I find myself getting really bad headaches, and I start being miserable. And, and you know what, sometimes I don't find the release in those particular areas of my life until I repent and change my attitude. Okay? Okay. Uh, this is not a broad brush type thing, and don't hear what I'm saying like I'm painting anything with a broad brush because I think every circumstance is different. But here's the key. You know better than anybody, don't you? You know you better than anybody besides God. Okay? So you know what you're doing. You know how you're living. You know those kinds of things. And um, if you feel like in your life, if you're uh, living the wrong way and doing the wrong thing, and you feel like that, uh, that, that some of the suffering and pain and weakness is coming upon you out of nowhere, uh, maybe it's because you're outside of God's realm of protection that you've wandered so far 
from God because you've decided to do things your own way that God's removed his hand of protection over, the long, over you and you no longer have that protective favor. Um, but again, it could be uh, that maybe it's a season where God wants to show to you how strong he is and he wants to produce a miracle in your life. Just like Job. Job, there wasn't any particular reason why he went with this, he, he dealt with this, other than some scholars feel like that uh, the Bible says that, uh, that fear actually opened the door in his life uh, for this. You know, the Bible says do not fear, but the Bible, uh, it also says that Job, in it by his own confession, he said the thing I feared the most has come upon me. All right, that, that fear actually was the thing that opened the door in his life for this. But we know that this, this, the, these issues that Job dealt with in his life only lasted months. They didn't last years, and they didn't kill him. They didn't destroy his whole life. And that God came in and showed up mightily in his life anyways. But this is where James is dealing with this. He's saying, hey, you know, if, you know confess your sins one to another and pray for another so you can be healed. Because sometimes it may be the result of you not living right. Because you've, you've removed yourself outside of God's protective hand. And he says, then he goes on, he says, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. All right? The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Let me ask you something. Do you consider yourself to be a righteous man or a righteous woman? You consider yourself, will you think about your life and the way that you live and the things that you do, do you think of yourself as a righteous man or a righteous woman? That's obviously, it's, you know, rhetorical. I'm not asking you to raise your hands or anything like that. I think sometimes, if I'm just being honest, I think sometimes we can struggle with this because we know, we know our faults and we know the things that are in our minds and we see ourselves laid bared before ourselves every day. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. He goes on, it says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. Then he prayed again, and the sky poured rain, and the earth produces fruit. Elijah was a man just... Now, look, I don't know about you, but sometimes I have a hard time looking at Elijah and being thinking like, me and Elijah equal. <laughs> I mean, anybody, anybody else kind of going to catch my drift here? Like, you know, we're just... Um, but really what James is saying here is... Uh, what, what he's saying here is that it, he... And other translations, I think, put it a little bit better because this one says um, Elijah was a man with a like nature. What that means is that he's saying is that Elijah was just like me. Elijah was just like you. Just like you. And that he had the same problems and the same difficulties and the same issues in his mind, dealing with his flesh, going having problems. I mean, we do realize, right, that Elijah was also the man that uh, when God did something great on the scene, um, one, of the, one of his enemies came and said, boo, and he ran away uh, into the wilderness and sat and pouted under a tree, you know, um, and told God, I'm the only one serving you. Right? <laughs> sound like a 
mighty man of God there. Uh, now, he, he ran in fear, and he was pouting, and he was whining and complaining to God about his situation, that nobody loves God like he loves God. And he's just so miserable. This is Elijah, oh great man. This is really what James is trying to tell us. Listen, that Elijah was just like you and me. He was a man of like nature. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. Okay, Just like ours. That he had the same problems going through difficulty. He had the same questions. He had the same trials. He wondered where God was. He wondered if God was going to do anything. He wondered if he was the only one. He complained. He whined. He pouted. He did all of those kinds of things. And yet... It says, because he was a righteous man, he prayed that it would not rain for three years, and it didn't. Now, obviously, Elijah wasn't praying that it wouldn't rain for three years just because he wanted to see if it would work. Okay? So he's like, let me try this out. That sounds like a pretty cool little deal. I can pray that it's not going to rain. It's not going to rain. No, there was, a, there was a kingdom purpose behind why Elijah did the things that he did. Um, and I think sometimes we sell ourselves short um, in this process. Um, we sell ourselves short. Because we don't really see ourselves as being righteous people the way that God sees us as being righteous people. You know, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Did you hear that? Jesus became sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. So because of what Jesus did on the cross, you have become the righteousness of God. Okay? All right? Uh, and you say, well, what about the fact that I've sinned, or I've made all of these mistakes, or, you know, I do this, or I do that. Well, in John, uh, 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So if we confess our sins, then the Bible says that he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive all of our unrighteousness. So when we confess those things before God, God steps into our heart inside of our life and he takes all of that unrighteousness that exists right there and he says, boom, and he just knocks it out of the way and now unrighteousness leaves our life, leaving only righteousness and we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And if you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, then the Bible says in James, okay, that the, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. 
Because you are the righteousness of God. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, God has clothed you with righteousness. And when he looks at you, he sees a righteous man and he sees a righteous woman. And James says that if you will pray and you will pray through, that your prayers as a righteous man and a right, you may not think that you are Elijah, but Elijah was just like you. And if you could walk in faith and understand your position that God has placed you in, that he has given you and made you the righteousness of God, then you will understand that your prayer has power. And if your prayer has power, you can have confidence that when you pray for things, it begins to move heaven for you. Because Elijah was able to do it, James is saying that we are are able to do it. For kingdom purposes, not for our own purpose, obviously, but for kingdom purposes, we can pray and God can do incredible, incredible things. And then he finishes, and Rob, if you'll come, if anyone among you strays from the truth, anyone turns him back. Um, I want to address something right here. I I think this is... um, uh, sometimes a, a topic of a debate some, amongst certain um, in, in the church. I, I don't know if you were able to follow that passage that James says right there. If any among you stray, strays from the truth. Now, don't you have to be in the truth before you stray from the truth? I mean, am I... Am I reading that correctly, that you actually have to be in the truth before you can stray from the truth, right? That you have to have had accepted something as being true before you can actually walk away from it being true. And I think that there is a thought in some Christian circles in our world today, in our culture today, I dealt with this a lot as a youth pastor, and it's still out there, is this idea is that um, and I think that the phrase is more oftenly known as once saved, always saved. Once saved, always saved. This idea that you, if you gave your heart to God one day at an altar, that it, it is done, it is finished now forever. It is finished. And nothing, nothing can change that. But if nothing can change that, then why is it that James says if anyone strays from the truth, why is it to say something about people straying from the truth and us helping them get back to the truth? I think that, why is it that, um, you know, uh, several times throughout uh, the past, uh, Jesus' gospels and, and also in the book of Revelations, it makes this statement that he who endures to the end will receive the crown of life. So if it was finished once and for all, that one moment where you gave your heart to God and you confessed your sins and you made this moment, if it was finished once and for all, then what's the purpose of enduring to the end? Why would you need to endure? Why would you need to persevere if it was finished once and for all and there was no need? Why would somebody even tell you to endure to the end if there wasn't going to be the temptation not to endure to the end and to want to give up? And it's the same thing we find here 
and James, this idea if anyone among you strays from the truth and one turns him back. The same, in that same sentence, he, James calls that person that strays from the truth, he calls him a sinner. And there's this idea that this philosophy, this theology that out there is that once you have come to Christ, you are good for the rest of your life. Almost as if as soon as you confess Jesus as Lord uh, of your life, that somehow you lose your free will. All right? You lose your free will, your ability to choose. Like once you choose Jesus, you don't have a choice again after that. I think this is inconsistent with several things that we see throughout Scripture uh, where people, I think, um, you know, wholeheartedly chose to do the right thing and chose God or chose Jesus, and then in the end, later, they made a different choice. Uh, Paul even talks about people that he knew that wandered away from the faith. We see... That, that Judas, while he spent three years following Jesus and serving Jesus, at the end he chose to walk away from Jesus. We know Saul was a man that loved God, and he was a man that obviously that, that didn't his life didn't end well. His life ended with, uh, you know, consulting witches and and sorcerers and stuff like this, and and all of these kinds of things we see throughout throughout scripture this idea and I think sometimes it's a dangerous philosophy that we get we can have in our minds that you know what is the point listen what is the point of walking out your salvation with fear and trembling if it was done once and for all once and for all what's the point what's the point of of walking out working out your salvation with fear and trembling if uh, the only thing you ever needed to do in your life was to confess Jesus as Lord and to ask Him to forgive you of your sins. I think the people on the other side, I think one of the errors that they would think, I think sometimes it happens like this, that I would say, well, you know, if you can lose your salvation... I'm not saying that you lose your salvation every time you sin because the Bible doesn't say that either. We don't need to get saved all over again because we sin or we make a mistake or even if we go through maybe a season where we don't, you know, like, like David did where he didn't recognize the error of his ways when he was with Bathsheba and the prophet came and confronted him and he repented of his sin and God restored him. He still had to suffer some consequences as a result of his sin, but God restored him. Doesn't mean, and, and I'll, I'll say this, I don't know where the heart of man is. That's a, I, don't, I won't ever really know where the heart of man is. But I believe this, that there can come a place in your life where you say, you know what, I don't really care anymore. Maybe there was a day where you gave your heart to the Lord and, and, and God did something in your life. It was a youth camp or a youth service or, or a kid's church or maybe it was at a crusade or a conference or, or in your room or something and God did something in, in your life and it was special and it was real in that particular moment. That real, it was real that what God did in you was, was incredible. And then over the course of life, you begin to choose to do the wrong thing over and over and over again. You begin to choose to live for yourself and not for Jesus. You begin to choose to live for your ways and not for God's ways. And you begin to make these decisions over and over again, all the while the Holy Spirit convicting you on the inside that what you're doing is wrong. 
when that point is, I don't really know where that point is, but I think that there's a day. I think that there's a moment where you have this thought inside of your head and you say to yourself, I don't really care anymore. And at that point, you make a choice. Do you not? Do you not make a choice to say, I, I don't really care about Jesus' sacrifice for me anymore. I don't care about it anymore. I think that's real. I think it's real. Um, why do I say that? Because, because the Bible does tell us to live out our sal- work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Because we do have responsibility. Because Jesus did say, take up your cross and follow me daily. Otherwise, you can't be my disciple. Right? I mean, carry your cross daily. Every day. Every day, Jesus says, you've got to carry the cross. Otherwise, you're, you can't be his disciple. And James tells us that if we will find these people and we will work hard and make a difference in their lives, all right, then we will save their soul from hell and our love for them will cover a multitude of sins. Right? Come on, we, we got to be a church that loves people. We got to love people. We have an opportunity next week to just love people. We have, every week you have an opportunity around you to love people, um, to, to be a, a part of their life, to build a bridge from your heart to theirs so that one day Jesus can walk across. We all have that opportunity. Will you stand to your feet this morning?